Welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. This week, we have a real treat. You get to hear from one of our newest co-hosts and lovely team member, JL, as she talks with Texas CPM, Catrice Harris. Catrice brings a wealth of experience to the table as both a practicing midwife and also the treasurer for NACPM. Catrice shares with us her big jump from corporate America to birth work, her goals to promote education amongst pregnant women and birthing families, and even shares a birth story or two. They also discuss the critical need for more education tailored to providers working with BIPOC women and practicing culturally matched care. Join this insightful conversation as JL and Catrice uncover the layers of education, cultural competence, and the promising outlook for a more inclusive and compassionate approach to prenatal care. Let's dive in. Nice to meet with you today. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Yes. I'm so excited to take a deep dive into your history and how you became a midwife and CPM. Um, we can take our time with it and, you know, get to know each other a little more because we met not just a little backstory. We met not too long ago at the conference and was able to hang out for a couple of days, but have not met beyond that. So this is going to be great to get to know you some more. Same. Well, I guess we can start by allowing you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can um, go into your history and so forth. Okay. Well, um, you know my name and my name is Patrice Harris. And well, a uh, little bit about me. Um, I'm a mom of two daughters and five grandbabies. Uh, love birth work just kind of took a uh, off the end of the you know dived into the deep end of the pool and let everything else go in 2015 and it's it's been going well um took me a little while to come to the conclusion that i needed to go ahead and take the exam um you know i had some personal issues with that but then decided we can do sometimes more good from within so just officially got my license as a midwife in february of this year Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, that's that's the short version. Um, Yeah, that's the short version. (laughs) Okay, so you got your license and then what? Uh, So I've been um, working with moms and families in a solo practice here in Houston. And also, um, it's funny how opportunity just kind of finds you. It's all about timing. One of my former doula clients is an assistant dean at one of the universities here, and they were starting up a doula program to put doulas in underserved zip codes of Houston, particularly surrounding the university. And um, so she asked if I would come on board and as a mentor for the doulas. So I've been doing that now for two years, and it's it's just great. We I have the best team of doulas. They're just they they get it, and so my life is surrounded by people who get it. You know? Right. That's important. That's yeah. very important. Yeah. So the doula work and then teaching some classes for a couple grant funded programs and um, and birth support. Yeah. Takes up okay. most of my time. So when you say you dove on um, and in the deep end, you mean it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was in um, I was in the airline industry for 20 years. And that was that was my bread and butter. You know, I went to school for business and was managing um, 
I managed the station for Virgin America Airlines, and oh. then uh, was a, a super customer service supervisor and manager for Southwest. And while I was in Dallas working for Southwest, um, I never missed a doula birth in Houston. So that's kind of when I, it was just set in stone that this is a spiritual work and wherever you're supposed to be, you can, you can fight it, but it's going to keep calling you. So it yeah. was shortly. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's to the fullest. Yeah. So it was okay. shortly after that, that I left corporate America and said, I'm just going to do birth work and let's see what happens. It's been good. That's really how it happens. Right. I hear a lot of people say that they shift from something that was outside of birth and then got into birth doing something else, whether it's a birth doula, postpartum doula, or whatever. And then after that, they're like, and then I either saw something about midwifery or saw something about the <laughs> mortality rate or something. And you're like, and at that moment, I knew. <laughs> I, that's the thing to do. That's it. Yeah. So I saw that you are the treasurer for NACPM. Yes. Okay, how is that going? It's exciting. So we had a meeting today. Um, and I, I think the great thing is that everybody's got the same buzz. You know, NACPM was, I'm just going to be very frank in this call. <laughs> we, it was on life support for a, a handful of years. And um, without an executive director at the helm, um, the the members, the board members did what they could to keep it afloat, but that leadership is really needed. So now we have an executive director and it puts us in a position to reach decision makers and, you know, reach change makers. So we've got, um, we've, we've got some lofty dreams and big plans. And it's just, I mean, I still sit in those meetings and feel like, why, what do I say? Am I supposed to be here? Like these are some brilliant minds around me, and I'm trying to, you know, play catch up. And yeah, you deserve to be in that. Okay. <laughs> so for those that don't know what NACPM is, let's start from the beginning. What is NACPM? So it stands. The acronym stands for National Association for Certified Professional Midwives, and the goal is for NACPM to represent. CPMs in the United States um, in a way that that helps us to get what we're missing. So whether it's, um, you know, to be able to accept Medicaid or not need a collaborating physician to order meds for our clients, whatever we need, NACPM is there to advocate and um, through grant funds and donations to you know, pass those on down and pass them through to the community and really support midwifery so that people everywhere see CPMs as, um, you know, as, as just as worthy and important and skilled as they see CNMs and, and OBs basically. That's amazing. So it looks like both of your careers kind of blended in. Yes. Because you're saying that you came from the airline industry and that you your background's in business and now you're doing business, but in a different way. And it's also you being a midwife, but you're using both of them together collectively to do something in the field. It's it's true. The business skills I gained have definitely been a, a big asset. Um, I was happy to leave corporate America, happy to not be in management anymore, but with, you know, my little team of doulas and the birth assistants who work with me, um, I, it's, it's good to have people who are like-minded and 
Yeah, we, yeah, yes. <laughs> all that you said, yes, it's all coming together. So is there any goals that NACPM is working on that you could share publicly at this moment for the rest of this year or upcoming? Let's see, what can I say without getting myself in trouble? Um, we, we really want to do some things differently um, with regard to having CPMs to be unified in policy and uh, procedures at, at, at home birth and birth center birth. So we're, we're really looking to streamline how CPMs work and add more direction and structure. So as a whole, we, we all kind of play by the same playbook, you might say, but still have autonomy to run your businesses um, you know, the, the way that's needed and the way that our clients appreciate it. I I love that. I It's so needed in so many I ways. Like, even back to when you said that CNMs have like all this autonomy, you know, where they can order meds and they can do all this stuff. And we're just, every state is different for us where their playbook is more uniform than ours. Right. And it's just so needed. It's so mm -hmm. needed. Um, hmm. So now that you're a midwife and you're servicing NACPM and you're doing all of this, what are some of the other goals that you have for yourself in the midwifery sector? I see that you are making a difference through advocacy there, but what are some other things that you would like to do? You know, Danielle, I think education is hugely important. And if, if I had my way, I'd have a birth and education center already up and running. Um, before, before I even finished my apprenticeship, I found space and I found, um, uh, um, what do you call them, like a, an investor and, and I had contractors lined up and then I couldn't find anybody to be my preceptor in, in my own space. So I've had to put that dream and goal on the back burner for a bit. And I'm very you know happy and contented with what I'm doing now, but ultimately I'd love to have space where families can get education on their choices. And I'll probably sound like a broken record, but people don't know that they have choices. Mm -hmm. And we all know the statistics. It really hits home to black women, women of color, but particularly black families. Our numbers are really, really bad. Um, and especially in working with the Healthy Start program with U of H, I'm seeing even more that there's there's a, a real need for change. So so many generations have just been stifled and um, conditioned and programmed in the wrong way. And it's it's going to take a lot of unwinding and undoing to, to change what they feel is normal, but with what is still unsafe for them. Okay. So I really wanna have an education center where we can pass that on um, and, and, and also have some opportunities to do some public speaking and create awareness and reach those who have the means and opportunity to make a difference. Wow, you said a lot there. <laughs> um, even because I'm 30, so my generation of friends, it's really hard for me because they see midwifery with me, but this is their first exposure to a lot of the things that I may say or I may do. And then it's a little harder for them to accept it because it's different from what their doctor is saying. It's different from what their parents did. It's different from what their mom's doing, you know? And it makes me even think that you start getting the education. Usually they start educating you at pregnancy 
well, it really starts before then. Yes. You know, like this should be something that just how we do sex ed, it seems like this is something that we should be talking about reproduction and and how it happens and how to take care of your body properly and how to eat, you know, especially in the black community. I feel as though we learn from our parents and from the people around or we pick up habits, but it's never actually taught, you know, like you see people talk about the food pyramid, but it's never I feel as though other I feel and I know other cultures instill that in their children like oh well did you have veggies today yes. did you have enough protein today when you tell some women of color you need to eat more protein that's probably the first time they've ever heard that I need to eat they don't know what they are they don't know exactly mm -hmm. and what is in my budget that I can cover that is protein you know so it's it doesn't stick completely because this is their first interaction with it. Well, you're so right. And I often share um, the story when my younger daughter had my grandson and he'll be five in about two weeks. Um, she, she and four of her friends were pregnant around the same time, often a couple of months of each other. And out of the five of them, my daughter and one other friend had a normal, natural, physiologic vaginal birth. Um, you know, my daughter, because I was there and her birth was long. <laughs> I tell her I almost wanted to quit and become a banker after that. It, was, it, it spanned more than 60 hours. And I know if she'd been in the hospital, they would have pushed for a C-section. So we had her baby um, at the birth center. Her friend had an unassisted home birth with just her and her husband at home. The other three were sectioned. And in telling their stories, or rather listening to their stories, I, I know in my heart it could have been avoided had they had the hospital support. And these were young ladies who were somewhat educated, but to your point, after they got pregnant, because they were all my daughter's friends, they all heard my speeches, they actually took a childbirth class from me. But advocating for yourself when you're in the hospital and when your loving support system is caring as they are, when they don't know how to advocate for you, we see that it, it we just, the statistics just grow out of control in a bad way. And I, I see why you're connected to, because, because you are pro more education, I see why mentoring doulas, it's so important and why advocacy of having, you know, doulas and um, for pathways for midwives to have certain things is very important to you. Yeah, I think it all starts with education and changing habits. And, you know, one other small pet peeve, um, I've been invited to sit on some panels and uh, with community leaders, um, you know, state council people and, you know, big names in the room. And the overriding theme is always, we have some sick folks and we need to help them get well, or what do we do in the hospital to make this a, to, to fix them when they've got hypertension and, you know, all, all the other bad things that can happen, you know, in mid to late pregnancy, but there's almost never any talk about prevention, educating on diet, managing stress, changing the situations that give us stress mm -hmm. that we know create a risk factor in itself. It just, 
being black is a risk factor, you know, because of, because of this. I was shocked when I saw, not that I was shocked that it's a risk factor, but, you know, for the low dose aspirin. And I was like, wow, this is like, it hits you even more when you see it listed there in yes. black and white that this is one thing that counts against. And it, it, it also speaks to like, you know, the stress and it, I feel as though there needs to be more classes educating providers on how to take care of us yes. <laughs> because yes. yes, you treating us fair is one part, but we need a little more because we come with carrying the stress. We come with not coming from a household that eats proper nutrition or not seeing someone breastfeeding or not knowing, you know, it needs more, the more we need the more for us. We do. And I really appreciated, um, you know, we were at the midwifery wisdom conference. Um, one of the, the skits where, um, Augustine was playing the role of the provider and she was sympathetic and couldn't have been more loving and kind and caring, but there was just a level that she could not meet that particular potential patient on because of cultural barriers and she would have provided the best care. But I was, that point was really driven home to me at um, the last birth I attended just days before the conference. And this couple um, came to see me for probably about six to eight prenatal visits. And they were always pleasant visits. The wife did a lot of the talking. The husband would never say more than hi and bye. And they, they were, you know, you look at them and see a black couple. Um, and he had an accent, so I never asked where he was from, so I didn't want to pry too much, but always polite, just high and by. So fast forward, um, a, another student midwife reached out to me, and she's in an ap apprenticeship in another city in Texas, and she said, hey, I'm in Houston to see my family. If you have any births, I would love to attend. And I said, well, I've got one, but she's not due for two weeks, so I don't know if it'll happen. Well, three days later, the client's in labor, so I call her up. Hey, if you're serious, I know it's 10 o'clock at night, but you can meet me over there. And so we get to the family's house. Um, I got there first. And when I was there, the husband was in another room, um, just nervously trying to distract himself because he, of course, he wanted to be there and support his wife, but he wasn't 100% comfortable in that role. So the assistant shows up and they, you know, she also has an accent from another country, never asked her where she was from. I'm just assuming somewhere in the Caribbean because I'm ignorant like that sometimes. And so they asked her, where are you from? And they were both the husband and the birth assistant from neighboring towns in West Africa. Oh, wow. And he just lit up. He was in there from that moment on for his wife and holding her hands and massaging her feet and shoulders. And, um, you know, they were speaking French and the wife and I were lost, but, you know, but everybody still connected. So you know, the point of that is even beyond skin color, sometimes we need to reach people on a cultural level. So we need more birth workers of all nationalities and races of people so that we can reach those who want that experience, but who, who will feel more comfortable in that vulnerable moment with someone who can truly relate to them culturally. And to me, that was just amazing. It's again, spiritual work. She wasn't supposed to be in Houston, the birth assistant. The client wasn't supposed to have a baby that soon. And they were both from neighboring towns in West Africa. So, you know, some of these things you just, you, you can't, mathematically understand it it's it's mm -hmm. just really profound it, it, 
won't add up until you're you have it may not be the same situation but for some people it just wouldn't make sense until they've had like an encounter that is similar enough that they're like i see why this is important you know what i mean exactly and even so like you said culture i think that's one that gets missed a lot and um i feel I don't think on the doula um, tech side that there was ever a space that you can check. Like if I'm from Trinidad, that I want to search filter by Trinidad doulas, or I want to search filter by whatever that specific is. I don't think it goes to that. I think it'll go to African-American or those type of filters. And I think that's a very important filter to check off as well. Right. Absolutely. They they would be able to bring what they learned as far as childhood education and comfort measures, but also blend it with what they know from their culture or break that barrier of, oh, we don't do this in our culture. Oh, well, research says X, Y, and Z. And you trust them even more because they are from where you're from. Yes. And then you can trust the research. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So can you tell me how do you think that we could um, help you or um, help your mission, further your mission? I was expecting that question. You know, th- that's a that's a tough one to answer. Um, one, because I'm by nature pretty independent and always trying to figure out how can I fix this situation? How can I make this situation work? Um, but really, I think it's it's larger and grander than 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 either you or I. We we need we need insurance to cover CPMs, which is also a goal of NACPM. Um, we need providers to be willing to collaborate with out-of-hospital birth workers, out-of-hospital midwives, so that the woman who fails her glucose tolerance test doesn't immediately have to be transferred out of care of that out-of-hospital midwife. Um, So collaborative care is huge. Um, Acceptance and recognition that what we do is valid, that's huge. Those Those are the those are the, the big things that I see that would help, not just my practice, but so many of you know my my colleagues and coworkers. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. Um, I've I've started toying with the nonprofit because I'd like to be able to still offer the same service to women who just honestly can't afford to pay out of pocket, um, whose insurance doesn't cover it or Medicaid doesn't cover it. So I think maybe just awareness that we do exist <laughs> and and we do know a thing or two <laughs> um, and we have good outcomes. So helping to create that awareness would be good. There was actually an, um, I, so it goes back to something that you stand on education because these providers, when they go through school, they're learning that we are doing it. They are doing it the best, right? They are doing it the best. We are the safest. It's like, ingrated it's like cultish you know what i mean and then so when they hear something different and they're like well this is what i've learned and so bringing out our numbers and presenting to them offering them education or asking them to show us 
where it shows them. And then we could show them, you know, from our end, this is the research we have. This is the data we've collected from all the midwives. Um, no, we don't walk around without medical equipment. We carry, you know, everything for a hemorrhage. And this is how we manage this. Is this how you would manage this? So having those conversations, finding ways to have those conversations so that it's not they're basically guessing at what we do from what they've heard or the negative things that are out there, not actually knowing that, no, that's not how this goes. We do all prenatals. We actually do them for an hour. Yes, we do. <laughs> it goes back to the education. Mm -hmm. So I guess a part of advocacy, I guess someone or some people going into spaces like the hospital and asking, hey, could we have a meeting? Kind of how farmer, big pharma sends representatives to places like, and you buy them lunch and kind of thing. Right. <laughs> representatives to buy the doctor's lunch and lunch and education kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I hear that. Idea. Yeah. I hear that that would be um, necessary yeah. at this of where we are to see a turning point. You're right. And it's interesting. You, you mentioned that it reminded me, um, I have a, friend slash acquaintance who's an OB and I knew her as she was finishing her residency and you know just just getting into her doctorhood or doctorship and um, I remember saying to her as I was going through midwifery training you should come to the birth center and you should observe a birth because honestly most of them going through medical school do not see a birth without something hooked up if not an IV there's something hooked up. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, oh, no way, because when, not if, when something goes wrong, I'm the most credentialed person in the room and it's going to fall on, on me to be responsible for it. And it was at that point that I just said, you know what, we're just not going to get anywhere with this because it, it's, it's to your point, it's, it's programming mm -hmm. through medical school. I mean, again, thank goodness. We have surgeons and we have people who can do C-sections for that 11%. Exactly. Absolutely. But for the others who, who don't, if we can adopt more of a medical model like the Netherlands or, you know, mm -hmm. Europe where, where midwifery is seen as the norm for low risk women, our country would, I, I mean, the numbers are astounding. We are third the the handwriting's on the wall. I don't know why we as a society can't see it. We're going back though to a good model. So I see that the numbers for and partially it was COVID. And I'm I don't want to say I'm thankful for COVID, but <laughs> COVID has started to shift things back to where we're seeing an increase of people using home birth midwives right. when when able to. And also at some point in short, because it, this is about insurance, right? It's, it's capitalism. Yes. What's going to end up happening is the, pro I heard one of uh, my friends say today, the providers who work for you aren't taking insurance that limit them to 15 minutes and all these rules. So I feel as though at some point people are going to going to not get insurance or mm -hmm. not get the top plans so that they can use the chiropractor who they feel like seeing them and doing the work that they need or use the midwife who is going to sit down and listen to them for an hour 
um, whether it's co-care or they are birth birthing at home and use the other providers and start paying out of pocket. Is that what we want? No, we would like insurance to cover it. Yes, exactly. We don't want them to do what we already do. Exactly. <laughs> People are starting to see that this model is not a good model and it is not working and it is not progressive and moving away and just paying for the services. So hopefully in seeing that and maybe presenting data and things like that to insurance companies, it starts to, you know, as things move more towards it, they start to conform. Let's mine too, mine too. I'm not giving up on that hope. <laughs> That's what we have to do is hold on to hope. It can happen. Hold on to hope. Well, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Um, let's see. So not the most social media savvy, but I, I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook, um, Baby's Best Start Houston, or my website, babiesbeststart.org. And uh, even if it's just questions or helping people to navigate the best path for them. I'm really open for that conversation. Um, I realize out of hospital birth isn't for everyone, but every birthing person deserves autonomy and to be able to make their decisions. So even if I can help put them in touch with a wonderful OB, I'd be more than happy to do that. Yep. I agree. Everyone deserves autonomy. It was so nice talking to you today. Thank you, Jill. I'm Same. so happy to see you. I'm happy to even hear about the work that you're doing because at the conference, we didn't get to talk about it, no. but <laughs> I'm excited for the work that you're doing. I'm excited that you're on NACPM making changes. I'm happy that you're promoting education. Um, I'm happy that you're looking for other ways to see how we can bridge this gap in the U.S., I'm so, so excited about the work that you're doing, and I can't wait to hear more and to see what's to come in the future. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk to you. It's so wonderful chatting with you, too. We will catch up soon, and I hope you enjoy your pie. Did it turn out great? <laughs> it, I didn't burn it, so there you go. Great. <laughs> I'm not a baker, so I understand that. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. You are welcome. We will chat soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.